1 Kings chapter 17 is where we are. Go ahead and take your Bibles and find that, 1 Kings 17. We're continuing in the life of uh, Elijah, looking at uh, this next phase of the, his story. Here's the key concept today. If we want the Lord to be our guide, we must walk by faith. We must walk by faith. Elijah's story is the story that we're following, and in 1 Kings 17, today we're just going to pick up where we left off last week. We left off where Elijah had been led by God to go to the brook Kareth and there to be in hiding uh, as the drought that he predicted came to pass on the land, the inevitable consequences of that drought, the famine that would come. He knew, uh, God knew that Elijah's life would be in danger, so he says, I want you to have some alone time with me where I will protect you, where I will provide for you. And during this time, Elijah was fed by the ravens that God sent uh, food through the ravens for him so that he would have provision. Pick up the reading in verse 6. It says, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Elijah was by that brook called Kareth long enough to see his prediction come true. There was no rain in the land, just as he had said. In fact, there was no dew. There was no moisture of any kind. And eventually, the brook that he was depending on to drink and to find refreshment, that brook dried up. And that was a, a picture, it's fair to say, of what was happening all over the land of Israel. And you can imagine the mindset of the prophet uh, over the course of the time and he sees, as he sees his water source getting lower and lower till it's just a trickle and then it's nothing. You can picture the questions that must have come to his mind. Questions like, you know, God has led me here. He said for me to stay here. He's been providing for me here, yet it seems like it's all coming to an end. Is this brook drying up a signal that I'm meant to leave? The ravens are still coming. Am I meant to interpret a new message here? Should I stay? Should I go? What am I meant to do? You see, Elijah was a human being just like we're human beings. He had all our tendencies. And I'm sure that there were moments where all he could think about sitting by that brook was the problem. Every day it got lower. And so with his head down, with his thoughts down, with his eyes down, with his focus down, worrying, soon I'm going to have nothing to wash down this food with. What should I do? Now, there's no indication that Elijah did anything other than patiently wait. But I'm sure while he waited, he wondered, and he thought, and he prayed. And things got a little bit desperate because the brook dried up. One man has written, man's extremity is God's opportunity. And God is taking the opportunity now to do something new in Elijah's life. Elijah has been faithful in this waiting period. And soon he's going to see the next phase that God is going to bring him. And what I want you to see here is that what a person does in a small task, sometimes just the task of faithfully waiting, what you do in that task will often show what they will do with a big task. And Elijah is going to face some big tasks. And here in the waiting period, he proves that he can be humble before God. He proves that he can follow God's instructions to the letter because that's what he's going to have to do going forward. 
But there are some lessons in this waiting period. And lesson number one is this. You need to remember the giver behind the gifts that come your way. Because in the beginning, when God said, I want you to go to Kareth and there to spend some time alone with me, and I'm going to provide for you. In the beginning, it was a miraculous, wonderful provision and a miraculous, wonderful protection. These were the gifts that God gave Elijah. But when God is giving us gifts, he wants us to trust not just in the gifts that he gives, but in the fact that the giver is behind them. Elijah had to trust that the giver of the gifts was still there, even though the brook began to dry up. You know, it's easy when we're blessed to begin to think that the blessing is an end in itself. It's easy to think that somehow it's because of my faithfulness, it's because of my service, it's because of I'm, I've done my duty and now I've earned this gift. And sometimes to forget there's an unseen hand behind all the blessings that come our way. And it calls us to be grateful. But secondly, we're called to remember that the right plans are God's plans. And God's, God's plans are always the right plans, as surprising as they may seem on the surface. And when the time is right, God will show you the plan. And that's exactly where God is bringing Elijah. So we pick up the reading in verse, uh, in verse 8, where he says this, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. God had Elijah at Kareth for a specific period of time, and while he was there, he had direct provision, miraculous provision from God, as God directed the ravens to feed him. But the message is, don't imagine that where you are is where you will always be. There are times that we need to shift our posture to consider new options and bathe those options in prayer. And as we do, when the time is right, God gives direction because God has a plan and God's plan is always the right plan. And the plan was to bless Elijah, just like his plan is for us. God has a purpose for our lives that will bring him glory and us joy. But in order to find that purpose, we need to walk by faith. Because God's leading in our lives does not come in leaps. It comes in steps. And he doesn't always show us all the steps. In fact, I don't think he does. But he shows us the next step. The next step in the journey of life. And when we are faithful to take that next step, that portion of the plan unfolds. But for Elijah, we need to read between the lines and understand that this next step was kind of shocking. I want you to go to Zarephath in Sidon. Hold on. That's a Gentile city in a Gentile area. God is saying the plan, uh, Elijah is going to take you to where you might not normally go. And a widow is going to provide for you. Hold on. Widows in this time and in this culture were the very poorest of the poor. How is she going to help? And Elijah's listening. Okay, a Gentile, a widow, a woman in a Gentile territory, Zarephath in Sidon. That's Jezebel's home area. That's where the pagan god Baal has the center of his worship, right? And Elijah, that's where I want you to go next. Well, okay. That's shocking. Pick up the reading in verse 10. 
So he went to Zarephath, when he came, and he went, when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar, a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a helpful person. I'm just about really at the end here. Now, we have no indication about how Elijah knows to talk to this person. There's no, you know, rendezvous plan here, how he identifies her. But in the divine watch care over the situation, God orchestrates it so that she's walking out of the city gate as Elijah is walking into the city gate because God had it all arranged. You see, God doesn't leave loose ends. He doesn't in Elijah's life and he doesn't in your life. One man says it this way, if Jacob sends his son to Egypt seeking food in a time of famine, Joseph is moved to give it to them. If Israel sends spies to enter Jericho, there is a Rahab raised up to house them. If the Ethiopian eunuch is desirous of understanding God's word, Philip goes to him. If Cornelius is praying for an opening of the gospel, Peter is sent to him. God doesn't leave loose ends, not for these, not for Elijah, not for you. But if you want him to lead, you need to walk by faith. Amen. So by faith, he meets at the gate. And God has been working behind the scenes, orchestrating this moment. No loose ends. And God still works behind the scenes. He's working behind the scenes in your life as well, in ways that are not obvious, but he's there. Let's say you need a job. You hear that the Amazon distribution center is hiring. And you go to the interview. You know what? Probably nowhere in the interview are you going to be asked by that interviewer, do you think that God wants you to have this job? That's not going to come up, most likely. And when the HR representative says, well, do you have any questions for us? Most likely, you're not going to think to ask, well, I want to know if God has commanded you to hire me. That'd be good to know. Well, for most of those kinds of situations, those things don't come to the surface. But if you have bathed that search in prayer, and if you, if you sense it is the right time at the right job, God has been working all the while, directing in the background and commanding the circumstances. Kind of stealthy, but there. And that's what's happening here. God is directing and commanding the circumstances. But there's a surprising response from the widow, right, in verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make for a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah seems to ask the right question but gets all the wrong answers, right? Could you give me some food? I have got no food for you. Elijah, hold on, isn't this Zarephath? You're a widow, right? I mean, just checking, right? Just, right? See, humanly, our expectations might be up here. We might expect a rich widow with a big house, a garden crops, plenty of room, food to spare. But here we wonder, how is this woman going to help? And here we learn not to measure God's provision by what we can see. That's what walking by faith means. This woman is living in poverty and doesn't, mean, doesn't expect to live long. 
But we need to understand that the sources that God will use for our blessing sometimes are a test of our humility, a test of our submission. I'll say that again. The sources that God will use for our blessing are often a test for our humility and submission. He's testing us. I'm providing for you, but do I have to do it your way? Do I have to do it on your plan? Does it have to look like you expect it to look? And the answer is no. Because the provision here is ultimately not going to come from the widow anyway. It's going to come from God. She's just the instrument. So God does it in a surprising way. Verse 13, Elijah presses her. He says, don't be afraid to go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and make something for yourself and your son. And for this for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord gives rain on the land. Now consider the widow and her situation here. She thought this was going to be her last meal. She was living in grinding poverty, and along comes this man she's never met, she's never seen before, and she, he says, can you share your food with me? And not only that, then he says, make sure you feed me first. And then you can be provided for. I imagine her thinking, this guy has some nerve, right? How about we reverse that order? How about you just go ahead and miraculously fill up all the jugs and the pans, and then when I see them full, then I'll provide for you. How about that? But that's not what she does. Verse 15. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. She did exactly what Elijah had said. She didn't miss a detail. But there is a detail that we might overlook, and it's embedded in verse 12. She starts her response with, as surely as the Lord your God lives. I don't have what you think I have. You know, she recognizes Elijah as an Israelite. She may even in that moment be recognizing him as a prophet, but she does not claim to be a follower of the one true God. She does not claim to be a follower of Elijah's God. That's your God. He's, he's true for you, in other words, what, what she's saying. But in her lowest point, she puts her fate in his hands because there was an inkling of hope there, not just in the man, but in the God of the man. There's an inkling of hope here when I'm desperate, when I'm needy, I'm just about to die, and the only place I have an inkling of hope is in the one true God of Israel. So as surely as your God lives, yet there are times that God will allow us to get in a situation that's really bad before the blessing comes along. And the reason for that is because he wants us to come to an end of our efforts, an end to ourselves and our resources. So when the blessing comes, it is, this is God. Amen. This is God. He has shown up. So she's willing to give up that last meal for the hope, the hope of what Elijah represents. I heard a preacher once say, God does not so much look at how much we give, but he looks at how much we give in comparison to how much we keep. And that applies to all kinds of things, money, time, effort, mercy, grace, 
How much am I keeping? I may be giving a lot, but I, maybe I'm keeping a whole lot more. But this woman, out of her desperation, is not keeping anything. I'm laying it all on the line, the very last of my flour and my oil, the very last I'm going to give to the prophet. And God was true to his word. The oil did not run out. The flour was not used up. God provides, and for the first time in a long time, this widow of Zarephath has plenty. And she's provided for. And you can imagine what she's thinking. Finally, things are working out. Finally, my poverty is ended. Finally, my troubles are over. I have an ace up my sleeve. I have a prophet in the spare room. Finally, <laughs> things are going well. But there's more to the story. When things were going well, Tragedy strikes. Verse 17, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Let's follow her thoughts. Initially, she may have been thinking, I am immune to problems because I have a prophet here. Because I am housing a prophet, things are going to go well for me. I call this magical thinking. And we are not immune to magical thinking. Magical thinking may be like this. As long as I tithe, as long as I come to church, as long as I read my Bible for at least five minutes each day, as long as I avoid the really big sins, you know what? God owes me smooth sailing. But I'm doing the work. I'm doing my side of the deal. I, I, God owes me a good living, an easy life, just kind of things working out. Here's the thing. That's not a deal that God makes. Yes, we are called to live in obedience and faith, but you are living your life of obedience and faith in a broken world. Things still happen that God, you know, wouldn't want to ha have happen in our world. Evil things happen. Sin happens. The presence of difficulty in your life never means the absence of the love of God. He promises us that He can get us through, but we don't live magical lives. But there's a second aspect to her wrong thinking, and that is, this is all happening because of my past sin. God hates me. God's out to get me. This whole thing with the prophet, this is a setup. This has all been a setup so that I can be punished. Let's understand something. There are times when there are consequences, direct consequences of our inappropriate or sinful behavior, and it does come. But that doesn't mean God's not working out of love and grace and mercy. Don't despair because even in the pain that you bring on yourself, God will love you through it. And God has a blessing in mind. And that's just what we see here. Let's look at Elijah's response. Verse 19, give me your son, Elijah replied. He took her in her, him in her, her, her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid, on, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, oh Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, oh Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. And Elijah picked up the child and carried him down to the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and he said, look, your son is alive. 
And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Now notice, in this emergency, Elijah's faith kept him calm. She was saying some mad, nasty things, but he didn't get mad at her. He didn't try to defend himself. He didn't take her accusations personally. He had compassion on her for her grief. It reminds us that we need to give people room. We need to give them room to express their hurt in the times of pain. Why? Because everybody you know is fragile. And mercy and kindness is needed. And he had faith. Faith that God was able. Faith that God was able to do anything, to to do something unlike anything he has ever seen before or ever heard of before. This is the first time in the Bible that somebody's brought back from the dead. This is not his usual method. This is not, okay, I got this, no problem. I've seen this done before. Put put him, stretch him out. No, no, that's not at all. This is like radically outrageous faith here. Three times he puts himself over the boy and he pleads for his life. And I want you to see that Elijah's actions did not bring this boy back to life. It is a God of the, of the universe, his answer, that brought that boy back to life. And the widow went from faith in the prophet and his God to faith in the God of the prophet for herself. In the end, she re- doesn't refer to your God, your Lord. She says, the God, the Lord, God and Lord. And this is what it was all about to bring her to the place where she understood God's not getting revenge for sin in my life. I'm in a position now where I can no longer deny that the God of Elijah, the one true God of Israel, is the God and He's worthy of our worship. Even though I live in the midst of Gentiles and even though all around me people are worshiping pagan gods, there's only one God and this prophet represents Him. She made Him her God as well. Now, there may be a situation in your life that seems too big, too hard, too complicated. Maybe it's a relationship that's unraveling, or maybe it's a, a financial crisis that seems overwhelming. Maybe it's a job situation that is just too stressful, or a question that you just need to get answered if you're going to move on in life. Here's what we need to know from the story of the widow here God is sufficient. God is sufficient for your need, and He will lead, and He will provide. He wants to provide because it is His nature to show mercy and grace. But you must walk by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this example of courage and faith. We thank You, Lord, that as we walk by faith in Your perfect timing, Your perfect way, there is always Your perfect solution Give us patience, give us boldness, give us courage, but Lord, give us faith and help us to follow hard after you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.